What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast, and this is the 12th episode of Season 2. Today, we're going to be buyer selling some of the hype, both good and some bad so far for the fantasy season. We're going to be talking about guys like Julio Jones and if the injuries could potentially be catching up to him. Hint, hint, no, they are not. Can Derrick Henry keep up this massive workload he's had these last two years? And maybe A.J. Brown might be going just a little too high in drafts. Joining me today to help answer these questions and buy or sell this hype is a first-time guest on the podcast. He is a senior writer at The Athletic, a co-writer for the Fantasy Football Black Book, a huge proponent of banning kickers with over 69.9 thousand followers on Twitter. He is Jake Seeley. What's going on, Jake? <laughs> What's going on, man? Yeah, Are you are part of band kickers? I mean, that's, we got to get that oh, out of the way, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Band kickers. Come on. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure. I mean, we might have just to end the podcast right off the straight if you if you said yes, if you're that you supported them. I think I, I definitely don't support them, but I think I in leagues that I do get to play with them, I like to try to take advantage and find good matchups. You know, always trying to find an edge, and sometimes kickers can be that edge if you take a little time. But kickers are useless for fantasy. Do you like do you like defenses? That's that's also the question. Yeah, you tweak the defensive scoring. I actually write about that every single year. Is that the default? "Quote unquote" defensive scoring just isn't. It's not. It's not done well. Honestly, there's a lot that you know. You look at the fact that safety is the same as an interception. And all that defenses can be fixed. Defenses can be adjusted to make more sense and value yards given up as well. Um, so yeah, I'm not. I'm not a proponent of eliminating defenses. Just tweak the scoring. But no, and you're at, no, you're still wrong on the kickers. I've actually won leagues leaving the kicker spot empty. So uh, I have a championship okay. on the banner for that. Okay. Set. Fair enough. Fair enough. Wow, that's that's pretty incredible. Well, hey, that's why we're here to have you today because we need players that can win even with leaving the kicker spot empty to help us win our fantasy leagues. And that is why I brought you in here today. But let's jump right into it. We're buyer selling the hype today. The first player that's getting a little bit of hype, and I'm really not sure about how I feel, that's LaVisca Chenault. I mean, are you buying or selling him playing this Percy Harvin role in Jacksonville and people thinking that he's going to explode in fantasy? And are you buying or selling the fact that he is an ADP of 45 right now among wide receivers for half half point PPR? I'm good with the ADP, and I can even see it going a little bit higher. Uh, what I wrote about him in the draft last year is I think that his ceiling is probably a top 25 to 30 wide receiver in the NFL. The biggest issue here is the addition of Marvin Jones is not Chenault in and of himself uh, because Chenault's limitations coming out of college was the fact that not the best route runner, uh, extremely gifted, extremely physical freak, the three S's, everything you want, uh, but over the middle, comebacks, stuff like that. He can fade to the sidelines too. So when you watch Chenault, he's still developing. I mean, next year we could be talking about him as a top 20 wide receiver, but I just think if it wasn't for the fact that they added Marvin Jones – I'd be saying this could be his breakout year. Uh, I think 45 is a fair spot, especially with Marvin Jones. Maybe he doesn't connect well with Trevor Lawrence or this offense. Maybe Marvin Jones finally falls off a cliff, whatever it might be. So I think 45 is a fair price, but I could see it where you're not going to be able to start him a lot because, again, I'm just going to keep going back to him. Marvin Jones kind of just ruined the excitement there for what we would have probably have had for Schnault if not for that. Yeah, I totally agree. So does DJ Shark or, or Tim Tebow or Travis Etienne scare you at all? Or are you mostly, I mean, not worried about those guys, mostly Marvin Jones? Mar- mostly Marvin Jones. Shark was going to be Shark uh, anyway. Uh, he's somebody that has NFL number one, actually, like NFL, not fantasy, like number one skill set in the NFL. Um, and we saw it in flashes, and part of it was the quarterback play, and Lawrence should help unlock him. But there's just a lot of weapons in general. I mean, honestly, you could say – 
Yeah, where I say, like, I'm not that concerned. I, you could argue that anybody's in concern. Lawrence is a rookie. Lawrence hasn't played with anybody in this team. He, he could have a connection with Chark. He could have a connection with Chanel. He could, Colin Johnson could be the guy that he's just showing rapport with through camp and into the preseason. So it's just, if you look up and down the line outside of ETN, which, you know, obviously, and that's a different scenario in and of itself. I'm not worried about, you know, him taking receptions away as a running back but when you talk about the wide receivers you could see i would go chark then chenault third with marvin jones between and then colin johnson fourth but if you shook it up it wouldn't shock me if it ends up being like the panthers where all three of them finish inside the top 30 and just inconsistent it wouldn't shock me either yeah no i'm i'm definitely buying this uh, adp of wide receiver i mean 45 right now especially when he finishes the 53 and 13 games i know you're not you're not ever buying someone at wide receiver 45 to start him in your lineup as a wide receiver four. I think you're expecting more. And I think that I think he's absolutely going to grow into that role. I 100% agree that I think Marvin Jones, the biggest thing that's going to stop him and the potential rapport um, with Trevor Lawrence. And it also worries me that Urban Meyer said that he wanted Kadarius Tony, which means that maybe he doesn't view LaVisca Chenault as that guy because he was drafted in a different regime. But I think I'm definitely buying at least this ADP of 45 right now. And I think he could be a good value down the stretch. Another guy that, I don't know if he's a value play, but I think someone just because of the offense that he's in and the vacated targets in that could really take over this year is someone like TJ Hawkinson. Are you buying or selling that he's going to lead this Lions team in targets and end up as a tight end for next season, especially after the 294 vacated targets currently in this offense? Yeah, well, they brought in Perriman and Tyrell Williams and obviously the drafted of Mondrant St. Brown. But it really comes down to Jared Goff still the quarterback. Well, he's now the quarterback. He's still the quarterback is in part of the concern for Hawkinson. I actually don't think I have any problem with being tight end four off the board. I just don't expect him to really take another step forward. He already had 100 targets last year. So even if he gets to 110, he's still going to probably lead this team with 110. But in that range with Jared Goff, you're still probably looking at 800 yards, six, seven touchdowns which just keeps him right outside the Kelsey Kittle Waller. I'd probably put him right alongside Pitts and Andrews as the next group. Like I honestly, I think, you know, Kelsey's on his own. And then I think you say Waller and Kittle next to each other. And then there's a trio in that next group of Andrews, Hawkinson and Kyle Pitts. And I think he deserves to be in there and he's fine in there. And that's what makes Hawkinson valuable. He's one of the safest once you get past the big three. Um, But yeah, I I don't necessarily think he's going to take another step forward. Mostly because, you know, he already had 100. Like, if he got to 130 targets, maybe. But I don't think golf is targeting him 130 times. Yeah, I don't. I don't see that either. Would you take anyone below Hawkinson over him right now? He's going as the tight end four. Would you take anyone like, I mean, Andrews, Goddard, uh, Fit, Pitts, Fant? Would you take any of those guys over Hawkinson? No, not unless I'm feeling really frisky with Pitts, yep. just in the fact that. You know, I'm going to compare Pitts that did it on our podcast today, and I said that the fact is. Let's look at it. One of the things said in the draft is he's a wide receiver masquerading as a tight end. So if he was a wide receiver, let's say he is, because that's really what he is. And he was going to Atlanta and he's going to Atlanta and Julio was already gone. And so let's just say he's Jamar Chase on Atlanta. You'd be taking Jamar Chase before you took Hawkinson. You'd be taking, if it was Jalen Waddell who went to Atlanta and replaced Julio, you'd be taking him before Hawkinson. So I can see taking Pitts before Hawkinson because at that point, I know Hawkinson is the safer floor, but I don't think the floor is that much different from Pitts, and everybody's always going to come back with rookie tight ends. But this isn't a normal rookie tight end. This isn't a normal situation. And if Julio is traded, you know, as of today, I'll take Hawkinson. But on the chance that Julio is gone, 
now you are talking about somebody who's going to get the Hawkinson 100, 110 targets, potentially even more. So you give me 100 targets for Kyle Pitts, and I'll take I'll take 100 targets from Kyle Pitts over 120 for TJ Hawkinson, put it that way. Yeah, no, I, I think I would agree with that. And I think that's why I'm, I'm buying Hawkinson right now before Kyle Pitts is traded and why I would take him over, because I think the TJ Hawkinson is probably after the big three. He's the best chance they at anyone to get somewhere like 130 or more targets. I don't think Goff's going to do that. But again, volume is king in fantasy, and I think he's someone that can absolutely get that target share and make their way into that top three purely based off volume and him ascending, especially after going from year one to year two. He increased his targets by over 41. He had over 30 more receptions. He just about doubled his yards and tripled his touchdowns. Um, Granted, he played four more games, but again, he was the tight end four last year, and I wouldn't be surprised if he takes a step forward this year. Um, purely based on volume. Another guy that could, you know, take a step forward a little bit after finishing QB nine last year and 15 starts is Justin Herbert. What do you think? Are you buying or selling him vaulting into a top five fantasy QB in this sophomore season, especially after they added a lot more protection for him with Corey Lindsley, Matt Feeler, Rashawn Slater. I mean, that offensive line is legit now. And then you get Austin Eckler back who missed six games last year with Herbert. I mean, do you think that there's a chance that – are you buying or selling Justin Herbert being a top five fantasy QB this year? Selling. People need to get the hell out of here with this, taking Lamar Jackson after Justin Herbert. This is absurd. There's a a five. There's Mahomes, Allen, Murray, Dak, and Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson falling to the sixth round of drafts is absurd on top of it. You want to talk about Herbert in that next group, that's fine, but I'm still not – I would still take Russell Wilson – uh, I would still take Aaron Rodgers if he's back with the Packers. And honestly, depending on where Aaron Rodgers is, I'd still take Aaron Rodgers. And then after that, obviously the situation is up in the air, but you know, whether or not Watson's playing the season suspended part of it. If I knew, if we knew Watson was, you know, just going to have stuff off the field and play the entire season, I still take Watson because it's not that I hate Herbert. It's just, I watched the last five or six, I watched the entire season, but the last five or six games, NFL defense started adjusting a little bit. And you look at Jared Goff a few years ago when NFL defenses figured him out and figured out that Sean McVay was getting the best out of him. Sean McVay, uh, a friend of mine, Emery Hunt, who's probably the best scout in the business, pointed it out to me before I even realized it. And he said, watch Jared Goff and watch when the clock, when the, when the headset clicks off, the defenses have been hiding who their formation is completely. And as soon as it clicks off and they're t- like, cause they're watching the clock cause there's that time where you can't talk to your coach anymore. That's when they show their front. And Jared Goff couldn't adjust. And I only bring that up to say I'm not saying Justin Herbert's going to fall off like Jared Goff is. I'm not saying that at all, everybody. I repeat that a million times. However, there's still an adjustment when the NFL adjusts to you. Now it's on you to adjust back. There's some flaws that I saw late in the season that were similar to some of the ones that you saw at the Pac-12 against lesser competition where he, Herbert was the same guy for like three straight years. Again, he exceeded all my expectations last year. I just think that now if you're putting them anywhere near the top five, you're buying peak and you're buying off the greatness of what was a surprising rookie season. When another thing about him is when the pressure was off in college is when he played his best. And again, I'm not saying that he can't handle it, but there's a lot of times when the pressure is on is that's when he failed the most. So I'm just hesitant. I still have him as a QB one. I still have him inside my top 10. I just don't think he should be anywhere near the conversation of top five. Yeah, no, I, I actually, again, Unfortunately, I, I totally agree. And I think the only thing I'd add to that is, I mean, I think the, like you said, I think at, as the season goes on, people started to figure him out as well. You know, you can talk about maybe even the sophomore slump or something like that. I'd rather take in someone more proven that I think has a better chance to do better. Like someone, like you said, like a Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers. And like you said, 
I mean, I don't know why anyone would ever take Justin Herbert over Lamar Jackson, especially with the rushing floor. And that would lead me into Jalen Hurts. I mean, Jalen Hurts is someone I would take over Herbert just because I think the rushing volume is going to carry so much for him this coming season. And that's something we'll get into later. Um, but yeah, I definitely am a little bit off Justin Herbert. But I mean, again, he is a QB1. But I think at the end of the day, I think if you're getting him as a top five or you think he's going to, I mean, I think that's absolute peak value. And I'd rather take someone else with a little bit more rushing upside than that. What about Julio Jones, Jake? I mean, I, I do not understand this narrative where people are making this guy out to be injury prone. Um, he's only missed four games over the previous six seasons before this. And people that are like, oh, well, his production's falling off. He was still on pace for like just just under 1,400 yards last year. He was fourth in yards per route run behind only Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, and Justin Jefferson. I mean, the production hasn't fallen on, and I get, okay, maybe Julio Jones doesn't like to practice a lot during the week, and he's always in the injury report. I understand that. But over the last six or seven seasons, and even last year when he played, the production has not fallen off. And okay, maybe because he's probably going to be traded, that might be baked into his price in the sense that he gets a bad situation. But I think this is still a guy that could go down as a top five wide receiver ever. And I mean, I am full on buying him at his wide receiver 13 price tag right now, which I think is absolutely ridiculous, especially when he finished no lower than sixth over the previous six years in fantasy points um, overall for wide receivers. Are you in or out on Julio Jones? Uh, I'm in on Julio Jones at the cost, just because everything you just said. I mean, you just pointed out everything that is Julio Jones. I actually would prefer if he's not on the Falcons, to be honest, as crazy as that might sound to some people, depending on, well, Depending on the landing spot. Like, I don't want to see him on the Titans because I don't want him to ruin A.J. Brown. And then that situation, there's limited targets to go around. But if you put him on somewhere like the Colts, I actually think that could be better because he could get back or solidly into that 130, 140 targets. Maybe even go back to the days of the 150, 160 like he was seeing with Atlanta. And you get me 150, 160. And even with Carson Wentz hopefully bouncing back. But in that office, 150-plus targets, period. I'd rather prefer that because I think Calvin Ridley stepped past him, not by a big margin. And it's almost like a 1A to 1B where they're neck and neck. But Ridley has become the guy, whether that's because Julio's inconsistency of being healthy, like you said, in practice, the rapport with Matt Ryan, whatever it might be, whatever reasons we want to run up and down the list. Uh, Julio is not the I'm going out there and getting 10 targets every single week like he used to. He's still one of the most dominant wide receivers. You're right. He's still one of the best that we've seen in this generation. Uh, first ballot Hall of Famer, in my opinion, and the injury concern, I think, is only magnified because of what you said, is that he misses practice, so it feels like he misses time, and he, you know, or maybe he misses two plays in the third quarter while he's getting his ankle taped up, and it just kind of feels that way, and I think that's why. So, yeah, sure, 32, a big body wide receiver, you start to worry about injuries racking up, but as you mentioned before that, Barely missed time the seasons before this, so it's not like it was year after year after year after year like Todd Gurley or I mean even Saquon Barkley's missed more time than he has the past two years. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think that's why, and I think at, at his price, absolutely. Now, if people want to see all the greatness and start pushing him back up towards this top six, seven, eight wide receivers, then I could say, all right, well now you're buying him at peak, and I can understand why, but not where he's going right now. Yeah, no, I, I like that. What about somewhere like the other place that are in the odds right now that are favored to get him are somewhere like the Chargers or the Patriots? Would you still be in on Julio Jones in those landing spots potentially? Uh, Chargers, if, if I would assume Mike Williams just becomes an afterthought or maybe he's part of the trade. 
I don't like the Patriots. <laughs> I mean, you can give me 150 targets from the Patriots, and it's not 150 targets in most other teams because it's going to be Cam Newton and potentially Mac Jones. So, um, and also that, the, that he might not. I'd actually bet the under 150 targets playing for the Patriots, even though he would clearly be the one and number two <laughs> in the passing game with the tight ends behind him. So it's not the worst. I, I, that's better. Like put it this way, I'd rather the Patriots than the Titans. Yeah. I'm gonna go keep keep going back to the Titans. It's just as much as we can like what Corey Davis la- did last year, and Julio Jones is definitively ten times out of ten and fifty times on Sunday the better receiver. It's still AJ Brown, Julio Jones, Derrick Henry with Ryan Tannehill. They're like you're just there's no way he's going to get to 130 plus targets in that offense. So it really depends on the landing situation. But I like the Patriots better. I don't. I like the Chargers better than the Patriots. But I still, if I had the ideal for fantasy purposes. I would say put him on the Colts. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the Colts, I mean, he could have a potential top three season on there just because of the lack of target volume. And, I mean, again, I think Carson Wentz is going to have a little bit of a back, bounce-back season this year, but that is a conversation for another day. Sticking with that theme of Atlanta, how about Kyle Pitts? I mean, are you think are you buying or selling? We talked about this a little bit before. Kyle Pitts ending up as a top-five tight end as a rookie. Right now he's going as an ADP of tight end eight. Um, I think Julio seems like he's expected to be traded, especially after that phone call being leaked. Um, yesterday with Shannon Sharp and uh, Julio Jones, and he's saying that he's gone and he's not going to Dallas, which is also a good thing. Um, but I think that Kyle Pitts, if Julio Jones does get traded, which I think he will, I actually think that he is a very solid shot at ending up as a top five tight end because, again, you take all those Julio targets out of that offense and someone like Kyle Pitts, who's been graded out by or said by many to be like the best tight end prospect all the way since Kellen Winslow in 2004, um, I'm I'm buying Kyle Pitts as the top five tight end, assuming that Julio Jones is going to be traded, which I will. So I would be willing to take uh, Kyle Pitts around tight end five or six right now. Are you in or out on that? I was already taking Kyle Pitts as five yeah. with Julio being there and still would with Julio being there because uh, you look at Russell Gage last year and his 110 or so targets, and that's with Julio Jones missing six, seven games. And Russell Gage is not going to be the third option, even if Julio is still there. Kyle Pitts is going to be the third option. Kyle Pitts is a good enough blocker that he's not going to come off the field, but he's not so good that they're going to ask him to block all the time. He's essentially their third wide receiver. That's that's who he is. Julio Jones is gone. He's their second wide receiver. He's that good. Um, so I was already taking Kyle Pitts again because you go back to the Hawkinson and the Goddards and the Tynes of the who wants tight end nine? Nobody wants tight end nine. You want a potential breakout tight end. We wanted Darren Waller a couple of years ago. People are jumping all over. I mean, we're doing Chris Herndon for how many years we're doing Chris Herndon? Because people want to try and find the next great tight end. We don't want the guy getting 600 yards and five touchdowns that finished his tight end 10. And that's really all it takes to finish his tight end 10. So I'm taking Kyle Pitts at five. I would take him over Hawkinson with Julio there. And if Julio is gone, I'll take Pitts over Andrews. I'll take Pitts like I said, the fourth tight end off the board. And that's only because Waller and Kittle have done it. Yep. What do you think the ceiling is for Kyle Pitts this year? If, if Julio does get traded and he's going to be that number two option in that offense, which as we've seen for someone like Calvin Ridley has worked out pretty well. What is the ceiling, even though considering that potential rookie tight end wall that so many tight ends seem to hit, where do you think is the best possible chance that he finishes uh, this year? At, at tight end, yeah. if there's no Julio, like yep. where, like a ceiling, you're talking yep. about position or you're talking about like, position. You're talking, uh, like position. yards and stuff like that. No, just position, position? overall. Oh, if, if Julio's gone, he can finish as the number two tight end. That yeah. I, I tweeted that out and I wasn't joking. Like he could finish as the number two tight end if Julio's gone. Again, pretend he's a wide receiver and now you yeah. put wide receiver replacing Julio Jones 
and Atlanta. That's really what it, that's all it comes down to. He can put up a hundred receiving or hundred receptions, eleven hundred yards, and seven, eight, nine, ton, ten touchdowns. That's he can do that. He can surpass Darren Waller as a rookie. Like Not saying I would bet on it, but you asked the ceiling. That's the ceiling. Exactly. No, I I like that. I agree. Um, next, the next player that I'm. The more I, I think about it, and I feel like it, this has been an ongoing thing for me for the last two or three years now that I just can't seem to do it. But I feel like this year is the finally year that I might buy into it, and I hope this isn't the year that the rug gets pulled out from under me. But I feel like I'm finally ready to buy in on Derrick Henry. Um, obviously, he's rushed 787 times over the last two years, and a lot of people think that he's going to fall off or he's he's destined for injury. But I think that there's a chance that he gets even more volume than ever this year, especially losing Corey Davis, Adam Humphreys, Johnny Smith. Notice those are not running backs. But I think just because the lack of other options in this offense, I think that there's a chance that they give Derrick Henry the ball even more, especially with this defense improving a little bit. But the one thing that does worry me is this offensive coordinator change from Arthur Smith to Todd Downing. But right now, Derrick Henry is going as the RB4 right now um, in fantasy drafts and half PPR. And he's shown the last couple of years that even though he doesn't catch a lot of passes, he's still a guy that's finishing at the top every single year. Um, do you think this is the year that Derrick Henry is over or do you think this is the year that I finally buy in and Derrick Henry pays off for me, even though I've never owned him on a fantasy team? Now, Derrick Henry will pay off for everybody that drafts Derrick Henry. Uh, you could argue that he's the second running back off the board, uh, really. And honestly, if you want to be concerned about what happens to Christian McCaffrey, we haven't seen him play since his entire season was missed, essentially. If you want to take Derrick Henry first, I don't have a problem with that. I wouldn't do it. I would take McCaffrey uh, Dalvin Cook has missed time almost every single season. Uh, Saquon Barkley is coming off two missed years. If you want to take Derrick Henry higher, he essentially is the safest. And I said, yes, safest for everybody, all those touches, all those cares. We're not talking about, look, even Ezekiel Elliott had all those touches and he was fine. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott was still fine last year until Dak got hurt. Ezekiel Elliott was a top three running back before Dak got hurt. The touches are overblown a little bit to a degree because of how it used to be back in the day. And it's also, it's not just one season. It's not just two seasons. And we were talking about 350 touches when you're 28 after five years of doing it, four years of doing it. And on top of that, even if that were the case, let's say this was Derrick Henry's sixth season and he's touched the ball 300 times every single year. But he's also a freak of nature. If Derrick Henry blows out his knee, it's because somebody hit him sideways on a tackle and there's nothing you can do about this. Derrick Henry is not going to go out there and start to look like Frank Gore just because he's carried the ball 300 plus times every single season. Derrick Henry is a freak. That's why he he is who he is. That's why he can do so much more than the average person can because if you go back to the days of Brandon Jacobs, he's Brandon Jacobs, but athletically gifted Brandon Jacobs. You don't want to tackle him. You're not going to tackle him once he gets rolling, and you're not going to hurt him unless, again, it's going to be, if he gets hurt, it's a freak injury, but guess what? Freak injury, like I just said, just happened to Saquon Barkley two years in a row. We weren't worried about Saquon Barkley because of that. It's just these things happen in the NFL. The NFL is the NFL. So if it was bone on bone and, you know, we're at the point where, like, okay, now his knee's starting to look like a concern and starting to wear down. He's lost his meniscus, and now we're talking Todd Gurley type stuff. Sure, Todd Gurley is an example of where that becomes a concern. But as of today, as of 2021, Derrick Henry is not – I'm not even the second guessing uh, Derrick Henry 2021. Yeah, and I think to, to go off your point, that you, you took the words right out of my mouth, the physical anomaly. If anyone is going to be the one person that, that breaks the trend, it's probably someone as physically big and strong as Derrick Henry. And the other thing that I want to note is the fact that people talk about, oh, well, this is the year he's finally going to get injured. He's missed two games in five seasons as a running back. And the other thing, this is the, the craziest part that I didn't realize until looking at his stats right this second, 
He's played five years. In those five years, his carries have gone up all five years. His rushing yards have gone up all five years. And his touchdowns have gone up all five years. I mean, this guy is like fine wine, only getting better with age. And I think that, I mean, why why stop believing him? And now he's done it five years in a row as a running back. Why, even, why couldn't he do it again? He didn't even get 250 touches until his fourth season exactly. when he finally got the 300 carries. So exactly. it's not like, again, that's what I was saying before, is it's not like he's coming off his fourth straight season of 300 carries. No. Derrick Henry has two seasons in a row where he had over 300 touches. Well, exactly. So three, what, three twenty, three thirty, and then almost close to 400 last year. It's two seasons. It's two seasons of a dude that's 6'3", 250. He's going to be fun. Yeah, I totally agree. Another guy that I don't think is going to be so fine that I'm selling already, someone like Trey Sermon. I think Trey Sermon is getting a little bit too much hype that he's going to take over the San Francisco backfield. What are your thoughts on Trey Sermon? Who would you take between him and Raheem Mostert? Raheem Mostert is obviously going a few spots above him, but he's someone that's obviously getting a lot of hype right now. I mean, he's competing with Mostert, Wayne Gallman, Jeffrey Wilson, Jermichael Hasty. All those guys, I just don't see how Kyle Shanahan gives someone this lead back role. If he did it, obviously that would be very juicy. But I think that even at running back 45 right now, I just think that Trey Sermon is being a little bit over, I mean, a good amount overvalued just because I don't see him taking over this backfield, especially in year one. Are you in or out on Trey Sermon? Uh, I'm in on Mostert and Sermon, honestly, because there's, there's a couple factors that come to play with the 49ers backfield. So, Let's start with Shanahan. The Shanahan thing that I've been saying for years now is he's got the Midas touch of running backs. He makes every running back good. It doesn't matter who you are. Hello, Jeff Wilson. Like, And that's the point. Jeff Wilson's not a, a name we know on 31 other teams. Nobody cares about Jeff Wilson because Shanahan's that good. I still don't know how the NFL hasn't figured him out yet. He is that good when it comes to running backs. So now what it comes down to is let's talk about the running backs on this depth chart. Sermon right now is the most talented running back. That doesn't matter as of right now. Right now, it is still Mostert's backfield. And as of right now, Trey Sermon's arguably third on the depth chart because he's got to get on the field. He has to prove that the talent for, that we saw in college translates to the NFL, that he has what it takes. But the appeal of Trey Sermon at pick 45 at running back and still getting Mostert at 29. So we know Mostert has RB1 upside. We know every running back has to go back to Shanahan. Every running back under Shanahan has RB1 upside. That's why people went gaga for McKinnon for the longest time. Um, but Mostert, if he's the starter as day one, he's going to have top 15, top 20 running back value at worst. So at RB 29 value, Trey Sermon, if he takes over by the middle of the season. Sorry about that. We cut out on the recording and we are back in Raheem Mostert. Is he going to be the guy this year? How are you feeling about Trey Sermon overall? And why you were talking about why Trey Sermon is a value? Yeah, I think both of them are valued because, like I said, uh, Mostert, assuming he's the guy for day one, assuming the whispers out there of him potentially being traded or released uh, doesn't happen, I think that would be a shock. But hey, maybe if somebody wants to give some value in a trade for him for some of the teams that are a little thinner at running back. Uh, and, hey, an injury might happen in the preseason. and Now they're flush with running back options because they're the 49ers and Shanahan can turn everybody into gold, as I mentioned. So. Most are the week one starter, top 20 upside easily. Uh, if Sermon is ever the lead, because he is the most talented, naturally talented running back, he would be top 20. Jeff Wilson, we talked about him being valuable in fantasy when he was the option. So you could go down the list, this entire backfield. Everybody has value if you are the lead for the, like Wayne Gallman. If, Wayne Gall- if I told you right now, Wayne Gallman is the week one starter for the 49ers. Mostert's gone. Sermon bombs in preseason. It's not looking like it. 
Wayne Gallman just produced five straight double-digit weeks playing for the Giants. Wayne Gallman would be in the top 20 running back discussion because he's playing for Shanahan and the 49ers. And that's what the appeal of Sermon is. And the thing is, RB 40s, just that general range, that cost is worthy of stashing on your bench because he could be the guy. Okay, I, I like that a lot. I think that for, for my style, I don't like to sit and wait and stash on players um, a lot. But I mean, I think that's a that's a perfect opportunity to do that, especially like you said, because like you just said, even if it's Wayne Gallman or or Jeffrey Wilson, guys that no one cares about on the other 31 NFL teams, I think that those are guys that are going to get value. So I think if if people are willing to stash, I think that that's definitely a good value. Um, I'm just not someone that's usually willing to stash, even if it is probably a good idea. The next guy I want to talk about is my flag plan for the 2021 season. I've already done it enough on this podcast, so I cannot give my whole entire Jalen Hurts take. But my flag plan, Jake, was that Jalen Hurts will be the QB1 in fantasy this year. Um, I'm a huge believer in him, and I think that it's the same narrative with Lamar Jackson that I think people are doubting him too much. Obviously, his passing stuff last year was terrible. I don't think he has the best weapons, but those are the same reasons that I was off Lamar Jackson, and I feel like purely because of the rushing volume and everything else with the offensive line, the defense not being so great, I am all in on Jalen Hurts this year. He's going as the QB9 right now. Are you buying or selling Jalen Hurts right now in fantasy? Yeah, I think my top five breakout quarterbacks, and Jalen Hurts was number one for that list. Uh, right now, I do have him as a QB1, and I'm going to keep him as a QB1. I actually have Jalen Hurts as 10 right behind Herbert, who we were talking about before. And the one thing I mentioned in the column is I said, let's take Daniel Jones' awful 2020 season. Let's just take that. Hey, the, well, Levin passing touchdowns and miserable season missed games, but just take his passing numbers, take Daniel Jones passing numbers and add Hertz rushing, which Hertz rushing is a reasonable 800 yards and five or six touchdowns. You could easily get 900. He could easily score another touchdown or two, maybe lean more to his touchdowns like Josh Allen and less rushing than Kyler Murray, but he's going to settle into that range. He's going to be around 805, 750 and six, something like that. You add that to Daniel – again, this is why I'm saying it. You add it to Daniel Jones for last year, and he's a QB1. That's how miserable you can be as a passer, run for 800 yards and six touchdowns, and still be a QB1. All Jalen Hurts has to do is be competent and throw for 3,200 yards and 23 touchdowns, and now he's pushing that top of that second tier with what Justin Herbert just did last year with Russell Wilson, uh, with who else, like Joe Burrows and Trevor Lawrence is the word. Like, so I think he's in tier two for me. Uh, and I think that if you want to make argument for a lot of those guys in tier two, but in tier two, if you're looking for somebody with a really high ceiling as well, um, I mean, go back to Russell Wilson's earlier career with more rushing upside. And that's really what Hurts has. Of course, the floor is he just bombs as a player. Um, but that's the risk you're taking at that spot. And at that point, it really depends on how you want to construct your team. If you want to go Hurts and then pair him up with a like a Matt Ryan, if Julio Jones doesn't go anywhere, or even a Kirk Cousins, you want to take the safe backup quarterback and just go for broke with your first, then that's certainly fine. You know, sometimes people go that way and some people go the other direction. They draft Stafford and then they draft uh, Jameis Winston. So it kind of depends on like how you're going to construct your, your team, really. Yep, and I don't I don't want to give too much away because this is going to be a massive Twitter thread that I'm coming coming out soon with Jalen Hurts because I found even more stuff that adds to the argument. I mean, I was looking at guys like Josh Allen's first four games, Kyler Murray's first four starts, Lamar Jackson's first four starts, and Jalen Hurts' passing numbers were nearly identical with all those guys. And you've seen what all of those guys have done the last couple of years. They've all been guys that have been near at the top echelon 
of fantasy quarterbacks last year um, and even prior with Lamar Jackson. I mean, I think Jalen Hurts is a guy that's going to absolutely break out. People are probably tired of hearing me say that, but wait till that Twitter thread <laughs> comes out because something I'm going to be shouting from the rooftops all season. Another guy that I think I might also be kind of shouting from the rooftops that I think could be in a, in a way, I think I would not be shocked to say, I know this is a big, big statement right here. If Joe Mixon becomes what Christian McCaffrey was two years ago when he was going around the 19th or 20th spot overall, and then he absolutely broke out and took over fantasy football. I think Joe Mixon's a guy that's going to do that, especially after his offensive coordinator said that he doesn't want him to leave the field in 2021. <laughs> Gio Bernard is gone. It, Joe Mixon has an ADP of RB12, which is ridiculous, especially when he led the NFL in touches before he got hurt last year. There is 194 vacated targets in that offense with 59 targets alone coming from Gio Bernard. I don't think anyone else is going to steal any touches. That offensive line is upgraded. I mean, I'm all in on Joe Mixon this year. I would not be surprised if he is the RB1. That is not my flag plant, but I'm, that is a very bold prediction. I think Joe Mixon is going to be a top five running back. I'm all in. Are you buying or selling Joe Mixon? Um, selling Joe Mixon at that level. Um, okay, at that, le- <laughs> but, at that level, I would sell him as well. But I think that there's a very good chance that he breaks out into that into that level. No, and, and that's the thing is he can get back to being top 10. He's been barely inside the top 10 before. And I think that's a reasonable expectation because you mentioned there's no Giovanni Bernard. Uh, they did bring in Chris Evans, who I think that is somebody that if you're in deeper leagues or even an advanced league and you want to 14th round pick because Joe Mixon did just miss a significant amount of time. And whether it's the AJ green factor, like from the year before, whatever it might be of like, we don't know, is it really that serious from last year or did he just really not want to play? Like, so there's a question out there of like, if that's a season, any industry, it's the same thing of Joe Mixon thought he was going to come back, thought he was going to back, never came back. Christian McCaffrey missed the entire year, essentially Saquon Barkley, same like, we have to see what these guys look like. That's the little bit of risk. We're assuming optimistically it's the Joe Mixon we used to know. And if it's the Joe Mixon we used to know and Joe Mixon's getting 300 plus touches, any running back with 300 plus touches is a good bet, let alone somebody of that talent, let alone somebody on that team, because that team is going to be extremely explosive. Uh, it's going to be a very dangerous offense in Burrow's second season. Uh, their defense is still questionable in spots enough that you're going to say, hey, they're not going to be able to win games 13 to 10. So I, I am with you. I, I like Joe Mixon a lot. Uh, and I just have a little bit of concern of like how healthy is he. But right now, because of where he's going, that's already baked into his price. It almost feels like he's getting the Julio Jones treatment, even though he's still, what is he 24? People are treating him like he's Julio Jones. Like he's been hurt every single year and hasn't played games in forever because you kind of get these perceptions. So I am, I am on Joe Mixon as finishing top 10, uh, top five. Uh, I would hard. I would bet. I would bet against top five hard. <laughs> yeah. He, he is actually 24 and he turns 25 in July. Um, I think that's pretty crazy, especially when someone like Najee Harris, who's a rookie, is 23, and Joe Mixon is just a year older than he is. And I think the other thing, like you said with Joe Mixon, is I think this team is going to be a lot better, and especially with the touches and everything else. I mean, I think he is just absolutely destined for greatness this year. Obviously, we'll see, even though Joe Mixon has been so injury-prone and he's so old, like people are, are making him out to be. But again, we will see. I digress. The last guy I want to talk about this year that I think is being a little bit overvalued is A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown is going as the wide receiver four right now. Do I think that's a ridiculous number? No, absolutely not. I think that's a fair number. 
it's just a number I'm going to sell him at, especially when he has a guy like DeAndre Hopkins going after him. I just think that with A.J. Brown at wide receiver four, with only Diggs, Devontae Adams, and Tyreek Hill above them, I think people are drafting him as an absolute ceiling. I think he's going to get all the targets he can handle, and, and maybe he'll get one of those weird 10-target games that he is so averse to over the course of his career. But he's a guy that I think I'm selling at wide receiver four right now. I think I would take at least DeAndre Hopkins over him, and I would definitely consider someone like DK Metcalf or a Calvin Ridley with Julio Jones gone over him. Are you in or out on A.J. Brown as the wide receiver four? Yeah, so here's your first like major disagreement because okay. uh, four, four is too low. Uh, the four is – there's only two guys who should be going in front of him. Two. Okay. One, two. That's it. Adams and Hill. And if Adams doesn't have uh, Aaron Rodgers, it's Hill and A.J. Brown. And well, no, Calvin Ridley. You said Calvin Ridley, no Julio Jones. So four is fair with assuming Julio is gone. Uh, if there is no Rodgers, then he jumps up to number three behind Hill and Calvin Ridley. So Calvin Ridley and Hill are definitive because we're assuming no Julio. The Adam situation. So four is fair as high as number three because here's what it comes down to top five in points per game last year on limited targets, still finishes inside the top 10 because AJ Brown is arguably you know what he's on a team where he is the other freak of nature he is a freak wide receiver of nature like aj brown we were talking about julio jones aj brown is kind of like julio jones and i don't think people like realize like what he does and is able to do on the field because people assumed that this is just run first there's not a lot of opportunities here he was a little quiet after all the excitement as a rookie, and that's understandable because of look who he's playing with looking at the team. No, he's not as tall as Julio Jones, but you want to talk about somebody who plays outside of his size. Like You ask the average person watching A.J. Brown, they would probably guess he's 6'2", 6'3", at least, yeah. if not more. Um, and I just look at A.J. Brown of what he brings to every dimension of the field, uh, the way that he attacks the ball at every level of the field and in the air, w- whether or not you need him over the middle in the red zone, whatever it might be. And he's got speed and athleticism to match. And you tell me we have no Corey Davis. Uh, I actually love Josh Reynolds at his value right now because everything the Titans have told me is that they're fine with him being their number two and replacing Corey Davis. But Josh Reynolds is replacing Corey Davis. That's what it comes down to. AJ Brown in 14 games had over hundred targets. You give me A.J. Brown 130 targets, what did Tyreek Hill just do with 130 targets? That's yeah. what A.J. Brown could do with 130 targets. I am 100% on the opposite side of you in this. I am all over A.J. Brown. Okay. I, I have him in almost like every single dynasty league I can find. And really? I will never let him go from my clutches. Okay. So now now I think I understand even more why you don't want Julio to go. Because if he does, yikes. But I, I thought no, no. see that's the thing is that would that would destroy it because you know what you brought up DeAndre Hopkins, there's even better. AJ Brown and DeAndre Hopkins are very similar. Okay, I agree with that. I agree with that. Okay. That that's a very and I, I think I, I think if you put it that like like think of it this way. I don't dislike DeAndre DeAndre Hopkins. If you ranked and we went down wide receivers in the NFL and just said pure wide receiver, pure talent, pure ability, let's rank them. DeAndre Hopkins would probably be in the conversation to be number one. Yep. Um, but let's flip their roles. Put DeAndre oh. Hopkins on the Titans. Walk into he is the alpha. There's nobody behind him, and people will be like, "Oh, DeAndre Hopkins should be top three, no question about it." That, well, that's who AJ Brown is. He's DeAndre Hopkins. Wow. Yeah. 95 percent <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins. Ninety-five okay. percent DeAndre Hopkins is not not too bad of a look. So I, I like that, man. That's that's you know what the, the more you said, the more interesting that is, and that doesn't mean that. 
I mean, Ryan Tannehill is is Deshaun Watson or that, but I mean, you saw it. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins put up numbers that only dude in in Houston. So I think AJ Brown could do that. I don't. I, I'm gonna agree to disagree because I need to kind of do the math and crunch the numbers a little bit more. But I think you definitely made a great argument, and I think you've definitely swayed me a little more. So I will give you that. Go back to the drawing board and let you know what I think after that. But again, I think that wide receiver four is a little tough for me right now. But I will definitely look more into it. Jake, the last question I have you for today, the thing that I am most excited as my favorite part of the show, the question I ask every single analyst, what is your 2021 flag plant, the player that you believe in most, like the guy that maybe it is A.J. Brown. Maybe A.J. Brown is that dude for you, and he's the guy that you believe in more than anyone else. Who is your flag plant for the 2021 season? <laughs> well, we just named a bunch, honestly, and we haven't named the one that I'll give you because I okay. don't want to like rehab, but like Josh Reynolds, as long as they don't make a trade, I think Josh Reynolds is a supreme value right now. Okay, uh, I'm all in on going after Jalen Rager and Henry Ruggs after the disappointment because remember why people are drafting them last year. They are both miscast as being number ones playing outside a lot, being able to move around, specifically for Ruggs, being able to move back inside some, get some usage like Tyreek Hill should help them. So there's a lot of guys. Uh, we mentioned Kyle Pitts. We mentioned Jalen Hurts. Uh, I'm all over Trevor Lawrence in his rookie year. I'm super excited for that. I think Justin Fields should be starting day one. But I'm going to go – I'll give you a running back. Because it's good timing. I just dropped my top five breakout running backs this week, and then wide receivers and tight ends. And my number one is JD or JD JK Dobbins. Um, I don't get the hate for him, and this is—I'll give you the quick version of the article uh, for if people don't want to head over there to read the entire thing. But everybody sits here and forgets a couple things. One is where was Mark Ingram going last year? The fifth, sixth round. Okay. Why was Mark Ingram going in the fifth, sixth round? Not because he was that good anymore. It's because he was playing on the Ravens, who give one of the best opportunities for running backs, give one of the best opportunities for rushing touchdowns. And he just come off 15 touchdowns on just 200 carries and a few receptions. Everybody wanted Mark Ingram, and that's the only reason why. Mark Ingram finally gets cast to the wayside, and J.K. Dobbins only goes out and becomes the RB8 for the rest of the season. And then everybody's like, whoa, 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 wait, Gus Edwards. Well, guess what? Gus Edwards was out there every single game, Gus Edwards had double-digit scores of his own. Gus Edwards finishes RB24 while J.K. Dobbins still finished as RB8. J.K. Dobbins is a true three-down running back, one of the better pass blockers in the NFL already, was one of the best in last year's draft class. So he has that going for him. He's a better receiver than people realize because the what the usage was last year, and he's definitively a better receiver than Gus Edwards. So I don't need J.K. Dobbins to touch the ball 20 times a game. I just need him to touch him 14 to 16 times a game. And those 14 to 16 touches over 16 games, not even 17 games, and you add in the production on a per-touch basis with a touchdown upside, J.K. Dobbins is finishing as a top-10 running back. Hey, hey, hey that's, that's not a bad argument. As I'm, as I'm looking right now, you said he was the RB8 over the rest of the season. Did you know, Jake, that he only played 60-plus percent of the snaps three times last year and he was still the yep. RB eight. I made the same argument with Chris Carson on a podcast last year. I mean, last week was just purely the fact that like, even with Chris Carson, like it's not like the snaps are going away when you're not even playing 60% of the snaps half the time. And you're still putting up this good of numbers. So that is a very interesting argument, especially when he only hit 60% of the snaps three times and he was an RB eight. Imagine if he was playing somewhere like Christian McCaffrey snaps or something like that. And I, I think that you would agree with well, me on the, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say one of those things too, and tight end's the best example of this, and I know we're not, it's two completely different scenarios, but <laughs> there's a good example is snaps are important, touches are more important, yep. because what does it matter when you're on the field? Like I could yep. tell you 
in, look at the the Buccaneers last year. I can tell you, well, Gronkowski was only out there for 30% of the snaps. It didn't matter because Tom Brady was looking at him every single time. Cameron Brate was out there for 65% of the snaps. And I, I don't know if it's really 30. I'm just throwing out there as an example. It's more of like out of you know the side of my mouth type of thing. But you could be on the field. You go back to O.J. Howard and Cameron Brate the year before, before Tom Brady got there and everything like that. O.J. Howard's on the field a ton. That, but he's blocking half the time. If you're on the field, even as a wide receiver, if you're on the field, and you're getting the touches while you're on the field. I think you need to look at both. And I know you're not saying that. I'm saying for everybody out there, just to, to, to get deeper dives. As you see a lot of snap counts, you see a lot of snap percentages, and you see a lot of that starting to roll out with the next-gen stats over the past few seasons. Snaps are important. They do tell a story. But make sure you take that next step of the story and see what's the target percentage while on the field, not just target percentage by itself, and also touch percentage while you're on the field. Because if you're on the field 60% of the time, but you're touching it 90% of the time while you're on the field, you're not going to care because you're still going to get your 17, 18 touches. Yeah. Well, I think a perfect argument to make for that is someone like even like David Moore in the Seahawks. I know it's a different position, but I mean, David Moore played 482 snaps last year and he only had 47 targets. That's a target on nine percent of his snaps. So, like you said, I think you're right. Touches definitely matter more than snaps. And I think the other thing that is so underrated in fantasy is I think that having a rushing quarterback like a Lamar Jackson or a Jalen Hurts actually helps the running back because it opens up so much less rushing lanes. I mean, look at the efficiency with Mark Ingram or even J.K. Dobbins last year. Um, I think that totally points to that. So, I definitely like that with J.K. Dobbins. I'm also a big fan of him. But that is it, Jake. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It was an absolute blast to help you and talk some buy or sell on the hype. Is there anything you're working on, especially with The Athletic? I am a subscriber of The Athletic, and I absolutely love it, especially for how cheap it's going right now. Um, especially, I think it's only a dollar for six months or something like that. I mean, I'm selling it for you, but is there anything you're working on or you want the listeners to know about? Uh, yeah, so like I said, the top five breakout running backs just came out. It's my weekly off-season series. I do top five quarterback breakouts, wide, running backs, wide receivers. So wide receivers will be next week. And then I wrap it up with tight ends. That might be a little hard to find five, but <laughs> that, that's that's the plan right now. Yeah, I don't know when the dollar a month offer ends, but it's out there right now, hopefully, if you're still listening. So we'll see. Go, go get it before it's gone. It's the cheapest it ever is, like you said. Yeah. And then it's a dollar to come yell at me in the comments. I mean, that's the best part about it. Exactly. You, who, who couldn't? Who would want to pass up that, especially when you're making ridiculous <laughs> takes about A.J. Brown and and saying that you don't want him to go – Julio Jones to go to the Titans. This is exactly what the hate comments no. are for. Um, but I absolutely <laughs> love it. Thank you so much for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. And that is it. So if anyone that is still listening, please leave me a review. I always love to hear your feedback so you guys know what the, the good things are, the bad things are. We're always trying to make this podcast the best that it can possibly be. So if you are so still listening, thank you so much, and I hope you all have a great rest of your day.